Hey there, audience friends. We're back for our second episode this week. Now, if you missed Tuesday's show with Robbie Bent, I highly recommend you go back and check that one out soon. It was a doozy of a show all about breath work and just waking up in general. And heads up for next week when I hit you with number 461 featuring Philip from Quantum Upgrade and Ian Mitchell of Wizard Sciences. And if you're a time-traveling, quantum entanglement, energy healing type listener, that one's definitely going to blow your mind. So hit follow or subscribe right now on your podcast app so you can listen to it on airplane mode after it downloads. That's my favorite new podcast hack. I just download all my favorite shows so I can keep it on airplane and not blast myself with EMF while I'm learning. All right, now on to the task at hand. This is episode 460, and it's our second solo cast Ask Me Anything show where my associate producer Bailey hits me with some great questions from our Lifestylist podcast Facebook group. And by the way, if you haven't joined us there, please do. Just search The Lifestylist on Facebook, then request to join, and you'll find about 7,000 like-minded listeners there waiting for you. If you prefer your content uncensored, however, you'll need to join my Telegram group. You can find that at lukestory.com slash Telegram. But trigger warning on that group, though, the uh, meme storm over there on the Telegram channel can get a little intense. So if you like to play it safe, stick with the Facebook group. The episode you're about to hear is rich with link drops, so make sure to find the show notes at lukestory.com slash 460. And so you know what you're getting into today, here's a brief breakdown. And we did, of course, meander into all sorts of interesting side threads, so expect the unexpected as you get into this episode. However, we definitely do discuss how to gently, ethically, and effectively wean off a vegan diet, the best animal-based supplements and why they matter, my perspective on eating animal products and the reconciliation of killing something to live, how to get started with red light therapy, and some common misconceptions about how to get real benefits without wasting your time or money, consciously creating a healthy light environment and how to avoid flicker and trashy bulbs, and the many variations of ozone therapy and what it can do for you from medical to home use, quality probiotics and how to maintain microbiome diversity, and why some probiotics are a waste of money and based on shady marketing messages. Making the most out of a C-section birth, non-toxic house paint, and other tips on creating an eco-friendly home. And finally, the downside of silver-infused bedding, how to keep cool while you sleep, and facts about grounding and earthing products that the people who sell them don't want you to know. And we hope you're enjoying this new Ask Me Anything format. I personally enjoy the spontaneous conversational flow much more than the scripted solo shows I did prior. It's just way more fun for me, basically, to riff off the cuff with little to no preparation. And uh, also, before I forget, a big thanks to Bailey for giving me the idea to do it this way and also acting as a sounding board for all the listener-submitted questions. I just love sharing this stuff. I mean, it's really an honor for me to share what I've learned along the way with you, and it helps keep me learning more as we go. So enjoy episode 460 of the Lifestylist Podcast. All right, you guys. So this is an AMA episode with Bailey, my associate producer. And for those of you who don't know who Bailey is, uh, I'd recommend that you go back and listen to episode 444. How about that numerology? You can find that at lukestory.com slash 444. And in that episode, we gave a little background on Bailey and how 
she became a part of the organization here. And um, you'll find uh, that interesting because she was a former listener that applied for a job with my little operation here and has since excelled and become an integral part of what we do. So what's up, Bailey? How's Florida treating you? Oh, beautiful. Is it like 80 degrees and sunny? Um, it's about 70 today. Oh man. But sunny. Yeah. We just had a big, big freeze here in uh, Austin and it it was, it was a little scary. Many people uh, lost power. Thankfully, knock on wood, we did not lose power, but we did have some pretty massive oak branches from the live oaks uh, on the property fall Mm -hmm. on and around the house. (laughs) So it was a little adventure in uh, nature, and I can't wait to come to Florida in a couple of weeks so I can be warm and see the ocean and see something other than Texas for a moment. Oh, yeah. You'll love yeah. it here. And see so, some springs. Oh, yeah. I know. I'm excited. Yeah, that's one thing uh, I'm really looking forward to is exploring the outback a bit of Florida and getting an experience <laughs> of some of that kind of jungle life. So we've got some questions here that were... Uh, Called from the Lifestylist Podcast Facebook group. And uh, I have very little idea of what's been asked and what I'm going to hopefully answer. So I guess without uh, further ado, you can just go ahead and start firing some questions at me. And I'd like to try and do something a little different on this one versus the way I used to do solo casts where I would take three to five questions and spend 90 minutes answering them because I would do all of this research and prepare these manuscripts and give really in-depth answers. So my goal here is to do more questions from our listeners in the Facebook group and answer them hopefully in a more concise fashion and just burn through a bunch of them and see if I can offer some value. And perhaps even before I do that, um, I'll give my typical disclaimer that states um, I dropped out of high school and (laughs) I have no medical credentials of any kind. So if anyone's going to... uh, listen to uh, what I share here today. Uh, This is kind of like, well, this is what I would do rather than telling people what to do. So I encourage people to do research and check with medical professionals or psychotherapists or whoever you deem to be qualified to give you direct advice on what to do. But I have, despite the lack of my formal education, spent the past 25 years doing all the things all the time. So I do have a bit of experience uh, that I can share today. So what's our first question, Bailey? We've got Sarah. She says, what are the best animal-based supplements? I'm 38, have been vegetarian since I was 10. Revisiting a number of beliefs I've held since then on things. I'm being called to bring in some super clean, as humane as possible products like grass-fed, grass-finished beef liver capsules. Excellent question. And this one is um, is one that has been very common over the years in that when I think when, when people take on any sort of a radical fad diet that's out of alignment with the historical record of what humans have been eating since we've been on the planet, it can have a period of initial benefits and then sort of plateau out. And I speak Mm -hmm. from experience myself, having been a vegetarian for around 10 years and uh, did really well at first doing all all the juicing and fasting and saunas. This is going back to the late 90s, early 2000s kind of era. 
And I felt great because I was detoxing, you know, I had been living a, a hard debaucherous life in Hollywood for many years and um, just putting all kinds of toxic things in my body and mind. And so I needed a clean slate and it, it really served that purpose. And I remember the initial stages of that. I felt much more clarity. Um, I stopped getting sick as often. And, you know, so I would just keep doing it. I would do like seven day, 20 day green juice fast and this kind of stuff. And and because my understanding of agriculture at that time was limited and factory farming at that time was also the norm, which is, of course, not only extremely abusive and creating horrific life experiences for the animals uh, that are farmed, um, but also is full of you know toxins and antibiotics and vaccines and all sorts of nasty stuff that they put into the animals. So I guess I'm saying that to say that I relate, but over the years I have met many people who are eating a plant-based diet and um, even people that are eating a carnivore diet and they feel great for a time and then it starts to wane. And so this has been a, a common theme in the you know couple decades that I've been hanging around with people that are really into health. And uh, particularly with women, I have noticed that the plant-based and especially the vegan diet does tend to start to have deleterious effects sooner than later. And um, mm -hmm. my theory is, and I don't know that this is scientifically valid, but you know, the female body is so much more sensitive and complex and has so many different cycles going on uh, monthly that all require different levels of nutrition, sustenance, um, micronutrients, and so on. So what I've observed with females predominantly is um, dysregulation of hormones and and things of that nature. You know, women stop having their cycles and 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 such, which can't be quantified, obviously, in a male body. Um, so the question is always like, wow, I'm I'm having this internal battle because my body is feeling like it needs animal products, but my spirit and my thinking around doing harm to animals as a result of my body's needs is, is difficult to reconcile. And so on the physical level, uh, what I've seen to be the most palatable and also provide the biggest bang of nutrition is, is what our um, inquiry here stated. And that is, you know, organ meat supplements and things of that nature um, can be really helpful as can bone broth. And the thing I like about bone broth is that um, coming off of a, a long period of animal abstinence is much easier using bone broth or organ meat supplements, for example, than it is to just go, you know what, I'm done with this. I, I have to reconcile you know, the fact that my body wants animals and I'm going to go eat a massive ribeye steak. You know, uh, I think that the gradual introduction is probably just easier on the body and not such a shock to the digestive system and so on. And what I like about bone broth is that the concentration of minerals and amino acids and protein and fat and all of the good things that one is missing from not consuming animals are not only present, but highly concentrated in bone broth. And it's also very easy to digest. From the philosophical standpoint, from my understanding, and I have interviewed a few people who specialize in making and selling bone broth, that no additional animals are going to be killed in order to produce bone broth commercially. Bone broth is a byproduct of the beef industry, 
or bison industry in some cases, wherein those animals are going to be killed regardless for their muscle meat. And even, you know, things like the hide and the bones are kind of aftermarket products. Um, Some of those things even go into uh, pet food and whatnot. So if one's body is craving the nutrition that's only present in animal products, bone broth is one of the most ethical ways to do that. And I would say to some degree, that's probably true with organ-based supplements in that um, organs in our current culture, at least in the West, are not highly prized and sought after. People find more value and I think a, a more palatable flavor profile in muscle meat. So a filet mignon steak is generally going to be more sought after than a beef, liver, kidney, heart, or brain, right? However, in antiquity, and I'm sure in many places on the earth now where there are still remnants of hunter-gatherer people, the organ meats are actually the prized part of the animal. And you can observe this in nature by simply watching Animal Planet shows wherein a pack of raving hyenas takes down a gazelle uh, and you see that they don't sit there and you know eat the uh, the, the filet mignon part of the gazelle, right? They go right for the organs. And oftentimes what happens in nature is that predators actually gut the animal and eat their organs because of their nutritional density. They're just innately aware of this, I think. And oftentimes we'll leave the muscle meat for scavengers. <laughs> and so throughout our evolution, when we were hunter-gatherers, which we've always been, Um, By the way, there's no historical record of any human civilization ever being vegan. Not to say that we couldn't evolve into that and be breatharians or live off sun or whatever. I'm open to considering that there's a possibility for that. But just speaking factually and historically, there have only been cultures that have been vegetarian, like the cultures in India that use ghee and cheese, milk products, etc., but they don't actually eat the animals. Um, but there's a whole other uh, set of issues with a diet that's high in complex carbohydrates and um, and grains and things like that. So if we're coming out of um, a philosophical perspective of wanting to do as little harm as possible and not to cause suffering in order for our bodies to thrive and stay alive, bone broth and organ supplements are probably the least deleterious to animals in general. (laughs) So that's a very long-winded way of kind of building my model around this because I I think that it's really important that we come to reconcile this inner conflict that we have. Um, I am disgusted by factory farming and the unnecessary pain and suffering of any animals, yet when I was a vegetarian, I also had to face the reality that my health was failing, my digestion was horrible, my sleep was horrible, uh, my teeth began to rot and fall out because I was devoid of nutrients that are critical to the human body, things like retinol, the B vitamins, things that really can only be derived from animal products, amino acids, and so on. So when I started to eat animals, I mean, it was really important that I sought out, and this is still true when I have the ability to do so is to seek out um, animal product sources that have the minimal amount of suffering 
and harm to not only the animals, but also the environment. And so this is why, you know, I seek out regenerative agriculture and for the most part, get all of my animal products from the farmer's market where I can speak face to face with the people that are raising and slaughtering these animals and get an understanding of what their spiritual perspective is and, and the level of respect or the lack thereof that they have for the animals that they are now monetizing for our sustenance. Um, so there's that piece. And then one other piece I might add, and for those listening that want a more in-depth exploration of this from the philosophical standpoint, I would recommend, and we can put these in the show notes, going back to the uh, episodes I've done with my friend Daniel Vitalis, who, like me, was a long time, uh, well, I think he was actually like raw vegan for a long time and then vegan. I was just a vegetarian. I still ate the shit out of pizza. You know? <laughs> so I don't want to paint myself as having that much discipline, but I didn't eat meat for a long time. Uh, and now Daniel has gone you know, the full spectrum from being a raw vegan to making his living promoting hunting and gathering in our natural life way. And he's really into hunting and fishing and he takes down a lot of animals. And so we've explored these concepts um, in depth from the more philosophical standpoint and with the goal of, of reconciling just human nature and how we've always lived here. And something we've discussed in those prior interviews, which I find really interesting. And I think these ideas are originally um, came from him and they're just things that I've contemplated, but knowing very little about farming practices, I, I do understand that fundamentally in order to take a piece of raw land, say you, you buy some land that's just nature and you don't want to raise animals or slaughter or harm animals on that land. You just want to grow kale and carrots, right? And, and produce vegan food, vegetable food, right? In order to make that land fertile and arable, you have to clear that land of all the nature that exists there in order to essentially create um, a manufacturing environment in which the plants that you want to grow can flourish. So say you take an acre of land and you want to grow calories there for people or for yourself. In order to do so, it's necessary to kill thousands and thousands of living organisms to grow your kale. So snakes, gophers, grasshoppers, birds, bird nests, lizards, you know, you name it, just all of the smaller creatures to get, you know, a net caloric value from that land, whether you're growing potatoes, so that would probably be some good calories if you grew potatoes, but let's just say, you know, you're growing lettuce, right? To get enough sustenance off that land, the number of animals, living beings that are going to have to die by far exceed the one life that you would take to get exponentially more nutrition and caloric value from one cow. Likewise, if you took a piece of raw land, and there's a farm here that I visit somewhat regularly called, um, well, it's the Force of Nature, uh, guys, and it's called uh, Rome Ranch, Rome Ranch here outside of Austin. And I've gone to bison harvest and turkey harvest and things. And it's really interesting to observe what happens there because they don't touch the land. They actually come and uh, adopt and they encourage other farmers and ranchers to do the same. They take a piece of land which has been essentially destroyed through 
agricultural practices. Because factory farming is not just animals. There's factory farming of vegetables too. So they take this land that's dead. The soil sucks. There's nothing growing on it. It's just been mauled by industrial farming, whether they use animals or, um, or plants. And they get some bison and they set the bison loose in the field. And the bison just hang out, eat, defecate, eat, defecate, eat, defecate. And what happens is rather than the land itself, our, our mother earth being harmed, these animals actually reinvigorate and re-enliven the land on which they graze. And this is the natural cycle of life in the whole system. So instead of them going in and just mowing everything down and killing all of these small creatures, they put these big creatures on the land, which then provide sustenance for all of the insects. And those insects provide sustenance for all of the birds. And the birds also um, you know, get sustenance from smaller mammals that they eat and so on and so on, right? It's the cycle of life that we see in nature if humans just leave it alone. So in my conversations with Daniel and just my just inquisitive mind and curiosity, I've often pondered why we as people who are compassionate, loving, caring beings create a hierarchical system of value wherein a cow's life has more value than a gopher. And we have no problem killing a gopher or a butterfly or larvae or whatever we kill by tilling some land to grow kale. <laughs> you know what I mean? Say many of us would think, well, I'm willing to kill 10,000 small creatures because I value their life less than I do killing one cow. Same mm -hmm. could be said for being a pescatarian, right? The amount, the number of fish that you would need to kill to get the same net weight of edible protein versus a cow would exceed one cow's life dramatically, right? You might have to, I mean, how many fish would you have to kill or how big would they have to be? I mean, let's just say, you know, your average 20 inch couple of few pound fish that need to be killed in order to equate to one full grown cow that's raised for the purpose of eating its meat. All of this, of course, could be justification for killing just to get what I want because I want to be full and I like the taste of ribeyes, right? I, and I understand that. But like, I, I would encourage people listening, and I don't care what people do, honestly. I, I would encourage people to. Um, do as little harm as possible and to minimize the suffering that they cause in order to sustain their own well-being. But I'd also like to invite people to just be honest, <laughs> you know, like let's, let's open our mind here and look at the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that throughout all of recorded history, and maybe there's history that's prehistory that's not been recorded, no human civilization has ever sustained itself multi-generationally eating no animal foods. The ones that have subsisted on a vegetarian diet, such as the people in India, um, are also rife with a number of other health problems that are endemic due to the fact that certain nutrients are missing. But I, I think you could have an easier time of sustaining yourself on a vegetarian diet because you can still eat things like ghee and you know get some nutrients, vitamin K, et cetera, that would be missing if you were just full vegan. 
All of that being said, <laughs> it's a very long-winded way to answer a simple damn question. But this is, these are the things that I think about, right? I mean, this is the stuff I'm meditating, or just for example. These are the kind of thoughts that I'll bounce around in my head. And, and these thoughts and these inquiries to myself and also not wanting to delude myself or um, hold beliefs that are false or justifications. I mean, this is why a couple of years ago, and there's another podcast about this, uh, I made a conscious decision to go on a hunt here in Texas when I first moved here with Sacred Hunting. And we'll link to that episode with uh, Monsal Denton, the founder of that company. And here I am like going to the farmer's market and I'm buying meat that I believe to be ethically raised and sourced and all that. And it's grass-fed, grass-finished. It's, it's as natural as one uh, could be eating a cow that's kind of a hybrid of a few other animals over thousands of years. But it's, it's good meat. But am I willing to go to that farm and kill the cow myself? That's an entirely different question, right? Do I have um, enough conviction in my understanding of the natural world to go do the deed on my own, which is why I went hunting? And there was a whole spiritual unfolding of uh, realizations that took place on that trip, largely in part to the fact that um, that trip also included a psilocybin journey. (laughs) Not while we were using firearms. I'll be um, specific about that, but... I mean, essentially, that boiled down to my understanding of the fundamental truth that there is actually no such thing as death in the greater reality of our experience, that life cannot be extinguished, nothing can die, because a physical body being animated by consciousness or by God, by spirit, uh, is a temporary process, and that's the way our universe is set up. So if I keel over right here, God forbid, again, knock on wood, I'd like to stay for those listening. But if I keeled over, who I am, in essence, my soul would not die. I don't know where I would go, but I'm pretty damn sure that the energy that animates this body and the words that I'm speaking and my face and smile looking at you and people hearing my voice or watching this video that energy that for right now, for this millisecond is called Luke's story, is going somewhere and doing something, right? I just don't have a finite understanding of life. And so on that trip, not only did I reconcile that within me is the DNA of my ancestors going back tens of thousands of hundreds of thousands of years that have been out there in nature taking the life of animals in order to sustain their own. So there's that piece. But then there's the bigger question of, is death even a reality in the first place? And when I you know, have explored all of these different areas of life, for me, I've just reconciled that for now, unless I find another way to do it, that um, my life has value, my health has value, and I want to feel as good as possible and be here with the vitality and longevity I desire. And for me personally, that requires eating other things. And if you go out into nature and spend any time, you'll see that all that's really happening is that everything is eating everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Right now, there are billions of living organisms in my body, living off me, eating my body and the byproducts of my body. And when I die and I have a green burial, because I don't want a bunch of formaldehyde poured into my 
uh, you know, my hole where they bury me, then other things are going to come along and eat this body mm-hmm. in order to keep themselves alive. It's, it's just kind of the way thing work, things work. And it's, it's very diff- difficult to reconcile if, if you're one like me, and I'm sure most people listening don't want to cause unnecessary suffering or harm. So that's my, my rant on, on that whole piece. And I would also like to add, I also respect anyone's right to put whatever they want into their body. <laughs> if you feel great on a carnivore diet or a vegan diet, like I literally could not care less. It's none of my business. Um, I just state these things because I know some people listening uh, likely are experiencing some of the inquiries and trying to find their way to navigate the decisions that they make in life about what they eat and don't eat. Um, where I've arrived at this point is I am not attracted to fad extreme diets at all. I'm just learning to listen to my body and eat what feels most appropriate and what gives me the most sustenance and well-being. Um, to answer her question specifically, and this is one that I did cheat and look at. Okay, so there's a lot of great brands that sell... Um, like, hey, here's the infomercial. No, um, <laughs> I have no affiliation with this particular product at the moment, but I probably will by the time this comes out. Uh, great company called Longevity Power that I've been using for, I don't know, 10 years. Uh, they make what is the most potent reishi extract, a powdered extract that's amazing. Uh, I use that and also their maca. They have an extract of maca, not like a maca powder, but I think it's like a 10x uh uh, water extraction, and it's just incredible stuff. Um, Christian, the owner of this company, Christian Bates, um, who I've known for some time, recently reached out to me, or we we're in communication. He's like, dude, have you tried my ancestral feast? I'm like, no. So I bought a jug of this stuff, and um, I find it to be much more user friendly than the capsules. And there's a lot of companies out there making great, you know, desiccated liver and kidney, different organ meat capsules. I just find that in order to get enough of it, the bulk material in my body that I'm, I'm taking like 20 capsules a day and I already take a bunch of other capsules a day. So I don't want to spend my whole damn day like pounding pills. But this ancestral feast is grass-fed, nose-to-tail, animal-based nutrition. And in here, it's got bone broth, beef heart, beef blood, beef liver, beef thymus, beef brain, beef cartilage extract, beef kidneys, and beef pancreas. And so one uh, teaspoon of this stuff equals half an ounce of fresh organs and three shots of bone broth, a three ounce shot of bone broth. Yeah. So essentially what what they do is they cold extract, I'm sure, hopefully under low heat, it probably says it on here. By the way, if you're taking uh, organ meat supplements and they're not um, extracted with low heat, then uh, a lot of the nutrients that you're seeking from that supplement um, gets denatured. So like high heat will cause damage. So for me, it's much easier to take like a scoop of this in my morning smoothie. It doesn't taste great on its own, admittedly, as you might imagine by the ingredients that, <laughs> that I just outlined. But um, I, I just put it with like some Keon whey protein and some aminos, some cacao powder, something like that. And I don't even notice. I mean, it's not noticeable at all, but drinking it on its own is a little challenging unless 
like a real hardcore uh, carnivore. So that would be specifically speaking to that person's question. I think that is like the best bet. You know, if someone close to me was like, Hey, I'm coming off veganism, you know, and I'm struggling with it. Then I would share what I just shared about my philosophy around that. But in terms of like, okay, what do I take without going and eating a steak or a burger? I think if you got on a couple of doses of this a day, you'd quickly start to feel your body um, and it's craving for these vital, um, you know, fat soluble vitamins and things like that, that are very difficult to get if you're not eating animal foods. Mm, I'm going to have to get some of that. Nice yeah, it's, it's rad. It's rad. Yeah. And it's, I forget how much this bottle is. And for those watching the video, you know, I showed it on here. Um, it wasn't cheap, but the organ capsules aren't cheap either. And, and like I said, I just find it difficult to get enough. If I take like five liver capsules of desiccated liver, and then I look at, cause I also eat raw liver when I have the discipline to do so that I get from a local farmer. And to get the equivalent of that, you know, like I just said, this is so half ounce of liver. Like I got to go to the refrigerator, slice a little piece, put the raw liver in my mouth. And, and then I'm also only getting the micronutrients that are present in liver. But of course, in the thymus and pancreas and the brain and these other glands, there's, there's a, a much bigger profile of nutrients. So to me, this is like by far the biggest bang for your buck. And if if budget is an issue, you could still get this and just do half a scoop a day. Like that's probably more nutrition than the vast majority of people on the planet get in one day, you yeah. know, from eating, you know, all their food. Yeah. From eating, you know, normie food and just whatever <laughs> from eating all the, the fake food that you get at your average grocery store, which by the way, right. I don't know when the last time you uh, went to a grocery store, but Every couple of years, I'll need one thing. Oh, I'm out of butter. So I go into like a standard grocery store and I walk in and I'm always just like, what? <laughs> like, doesn't everyone know? You know, because I'm living this insulated uh, kind of experience, right? And even Whole Foods. I mean, I go in there and right. I'm like, uh, what doesn't have canola oil in this whole place? But still, you know, much of the food's organic and a little higher in nutrition, generally speaking. But yeah, I'm always shocked, man. I go in grocery stores. I'm just like, oh man, these poor people, like they need to listen to my podcast <laughs> or something. <laughs> you know, I understand like budget is part of it. I mean, also to be fair, you go to Whole Foods and get, you know, half a basket and it's $400. And I understand that's not attainable for some people, but, but I think a good strategy would be like, you know, eat whatever food you can afford, even if it's not the best, but just add one thing like this into your regimen to at least you know, truly supplement. We throw the word supplements around a lot, but what does that mean? It means to to give oneself something that's missing from your regular diet, you know? So I think in terms of supplements, this is one of the most um, effective. Mm. It's funny, you guys, when Bailey, when Bailey um, started out, she gave me the general number of questions. And as I said earlier, I'm like, yeah, we're just going to burn through them like AMA lightning round style. And I think I'm just incapable of lightning rounds. <laughs> I'm pretty much obsessed with water. In fact, I've dedicated around a dozen shows to it. Why? Because water is the basis of all life, including ours. 99% of the molecules in our body are made of water. I've been playing around with ways to restore the natural structure or order of my water for years. And to be honest, until now, it's been challenging to determine what works and what doesn't. 
So I was beside myself with excitement when I found this thing called the Analemma Wand. From the moment I got it, I have literally used it on all of our drinking water ever since. And I even use it to structure the water in our pool and ice bath. Check it out. The guys over at Analemma did a study showing it unleashes the body's own natural rejuvenating power, resulting in 1 to 12 years of biological age regeneration within only three months. It's crazy. And drinking analemma water powerfully benefits the brain by calming your brain waves almost instantly. But perhaps the coolest part of all is that it's so easy to use. You simply stir your water with the quartz wand for about 30 seconds, and that water retains its structure for years. To find out more, visit analemmawater.com and use the code LUKE5 to get 5% off your purchase. That's A-N-A-L-E-M-M-A, analemmawater.com, and the code is LUKE5. And if all of this sounds too good to be true, give a listen to episode 431, where the inventors break down all the research and science on this thing. It's pretty incredible. Okay, we got Dahlia. She says, I just bought a full body red light panel. And to be honest, I'm struggling with finding info on how to get started with it. I have a panel with both red and infrared. Today, I did about six minutes each on the front and back of my body. It felt amazing, but I got kind of freaked out because it was so warm. I felt like I was cooking my insides. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Just looking for some information on how to get started. Oh, that's a great question. I I would say to Dahlia that the likelihood of any red light device cooking your insides any more than your Wi-Fi router is nil to zero. (laughs) Um, yeah, to, to my understanding, and I'm also someone who's been using red light therapy for, I don't know, as long as they've been commercially available the past few years, um, to, to my awareness, there's no harm that can be done using red light therapy, the near infrared lights and the, um, mid infrared and just the red lights, uh, typically don't penetrate your body deep enough to do any harm. And even like the sauna space sauna that I have, which is I would say the one that I use the most just because it gets super hot and it's like red light and sweating at the same time. Um, Those lights uh, penetrate much deeper than like a um, far infrared sauna, for example. And there's no uh, scientific evidence to my knowledge that that can be harmful in any way. So I would at first um, just dispel her fears around that. In terms of how to integrate that into one's lifestyle, it can be a little tricky because you're just kind of standing there, you know, depending on the size of the unit you have. Um, I mean, I have like a small little juve that sits on a counter top and, you know, you could put it on your desk and get some effects of it, but you also want to be quite close, you know, to get the penetration that you're looking for, for the benefit to your mitochondria and all the many benefits that red light therapy provide, you need to be pretty close to it. And so um, in my little biohacking room here at my house. Um, I have a big multi-panel juve thing hanging on the wall. And uh, my my handyman, Marius, hung it on the wall instead of on its kind of rolling rack that it comes with. So he affixed it to the wall. And uh, where I have it on the wall is where my vibe plate little jungle gym thing is. So I like to go in there and while I'm doing my red light therapy, since it's kind of boring just to stand there close to a light panel, I'll hang and I'll do some pull-ups and stretch and also vibrate at the same time. So my thought there to make it more interesting is to find something else that you can do 
that allows you to be in close proximity to the light. And what many people I think don't understand about red light therapy is that the benefits are negligible if it's across the room. Like I see people with, um, you know, they put their red light thing in their sauna and it's like four feet away. And there's probably some benefits of getting that spectrum of light in your eyes. I mean, maybe not looking right at it, but just, you know, seeing red light. Like I have a little sauna space light up there and it balances the light in my room, but I'm not really getting a truly therapeutic effect from just having a light way over there. So you want to be close to it. And the amount of time is essentially based on just... <laughs> how well you can entertain yourself while your naked body is close to that red light. Um, so I think there's some value in that understanding for people listening that, you know, just having a red light on across the room is, is cute. Um, but you're not really going to get the scientific benefits that have been undoubtedly proven and represented in the literature. It's those results have all come from being very close to the light and also require a certain intensity of that light so that it does penetrate beyond your skin. So um, I guess in closing, my advice to her would be find something you can do that allows you to stay for you know 10 to 15 minutes in front of that light. Um, but to my understanding, there is no harm that can come from doing so, only benefit. The only harm might just be that you die of boredom because you have nothing to do there, you know? So then one one would think, well, you know what? I could just meditate there, but most people meditate sitting down. And if you're sitting down in front of a red light panel, you're not going to be, you know, that sweet spot of, I don't know what it is exactly, but let's just say four to eight inches away or something like that, right? So maybe your knees would be close to it, but then your torso and face are going to be like 18 inches away or something or more, maybe two feet, and you're not really going to get a lot of benefit. So I would say um, build it into a practice where you know you're going to stand there and be close to it and get as much of your naked body exposed to that red light as you can. And um, what's happened for me is I've, I've actually just learned to love the warming sensation of the red light. And I just think of it as you know, a campfire or something. I just, I try to find whatever um, value and appreciation I can for it, for it so that it becomes easier to habituate and just build into my routine. And I don't, you know, stand in front of my red light panel every morning, but when I do, at least like I can vibrate and stretch and do something else while I'm there while also staying uh, really close to the panel. Nice. Yeah, those feel so good. That's the best. What What kind of red light situation are you working with? Um, I have the photon, the sauna space photon. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so I'll I'll like sit down and just hold it right in front of me. It feels so good. It's like yeah, it feels like the sun. It's the best. I really love those those photon lights. I wonder. No, let me see if I can do something here for the people watching. There, there we go. Oh, there you go. So that's and I'll the, keep it on. I'll keep it on if I'm like watching TV or on my phone yeah. or something. I'll make sure it's shining in front of me. Totally. Yeah. I, I highly recommend the sauna space single photon lights. Now you can't do a full body red light therapy with those, but as you just indicated and has also been my experience, they're really good for spot treatments. Like you can point it at your thyroid or your sore knee or any part of your body really, um, and, and get a lot of therapeutic and healing value out of it. But that light is also great just for balancing the light spectrum in a room. So I always have mine on in here, which is challenging sometimes in, in um, Texas summers. 
But I have two full mm-hmm. spectrum lights up above my desk that are, you know, incandescent lights that have blue, green, and all the colors of the rainbow. But because it has blue light, I also like to infuse my workspace here with much more red light. And um, these um, sauna space photon lights are also very useful if you're in a light environment that uh, has a lot of flicker. And so that's a really great test people can do. In fact, I'd recommend to everyone um, in your immediate living or working space to take out your phone and take a slow motion video directly of the lights that are over your head or in the lamps or wherever your lighting happens to be located. And when you watch that slow motion video back, you'll see that that light uh, often flickers like crazy. And it's sub-perceptual to the naked eye, but it's not sub-perceptual to your nervous system and to your brain. So I always recommend using circadian-friendly lighting, um, incandescent bulbs, et cetera, which the powers that be are trying to ban and outlaw and create scarcity around um, supposedly for the sake of the environment. But I I have my doubts about that. Uh, But if you have light in your environment that flickers, using one of the sauna space uh, bulbs will help balance out not only the spectrum of light, but also the flicker because it does not flicker just like our natural sources of light like the sun and fire don't flicker. At least fire doesn't flicker in the same way with the same unnatural frequency as these quote unquote energy efficient LED and fluorescent bulbs. Okay. We've got Elizabeth says, has anyone had any experience with IV ozone therapy, especially for anemia? Oh man. Yeah. I have a lot of experience with ozone IV therapy. Uh, For those listening, we did a show. I've done a couple shows on ozone. One of them was with Ian Mitchell, but we were more talking about like taking ozone internally, um, capsules and whatnot. Uh, That brand Biocharged makes a really great ozonated oil capsule that's for mitochondria and energy and such. But my most recent show was with uh, Michael Lowe from Simply O3. And in that show, we didn't go as deep into the science of the benefits uh, of using ozone. That show, I think, was a much more practical offering in that we explored the numerous different ways in which one can get ozone into their body. So that would be a really good episode to listen to, and we'll link to that in the show notes for this one. Um, But as far as the IV ozone, we want to differentiate kind of two categories of using ozone, um, well, medically or, you know, for health benefits. So here at home, I use ozone all the time. Generally, I don't know, probably three, four times a week on a regular basis. And I have an O3, simply O3 ozone generator. And I always get embarrassed talking about this part of it. I wish I could just skirt past it and just skip it, but you can't. Um, the best ways to use ozone, or the, not the best, there's no you know real um, spectrum in, in the way of like one's good and one's not, but to get the kind of benefits I'm looking for, which have to do with uh, oxygen uptake and mitochondrial function, et cetera, you want to get the ozone internally into your body. So that would be done uh, rectally called rectal insufflation. And that has to do with filling up a little um, kind of what looks like a colostomy bag with ozone gas and then inserting that into yourself and putting, you know, whatever it is, a liter or something of this ozone gas in the old... Uh, you know, not fun, especially if someone walks in on you, you know, what are you doing in there? But um, as far as home use, that's 
universally understood to be the most effective. You can also put it in your ears, which I do quite a bit with a stethoscope. Um, females can um, do this, the same insufflation, but do so vaginally. Um, you can also drink ozonated water. You can breathe ozone. And there's a huge caveat here. You never want to breathe ozone gas, but you can inhale ozone or the ozonides, which are the, um, the molecules of ozone that have a lot of benefits. You can breathe it if it's bubbled through oil. And that removes kind of the caustic nature of ozone. And ozone, for those that are unfamiliar, is essentially just electrified oxygen. It's the smell that you smell on a rainy, lightning-filled day. And ozone is um, the way, well, it's not its only purpose, I'm sure, in nature. There are things we don't understand about it. But the way I look at it is it's nature's kind of disinfectant. And so when lightning hits oxygen, it creates ozone. And it's, it's a really powerful disinfectant. Uh, so you don't want to breathe it, but it can be inhaled if it's done so properly, which is bubbled through uh, usually olive oil. So those are the things you can do at home. Specifically to this question, then we're getting into another category. And this is like the medical therapeutic use of ozone, where it can be introduced into the bloodstream intravenously. And there's a lot of different um, innovations in ozone IVs. Classically, there was something called 10-pass ozone. And that's where they would take your blood out of your body 10 times and run it through um, essentially a, a canister where it's infused with ozone and then goes back into your body. That's why it's called 10 pass because it's like 10 times your whole volume of blood goes through the ozone. And this you know, neutralizes pathogens and adds oxygen to your blood. And it's, it's actually really interesting to have it done uh, because you see the color of your blood when it's uh, less oxygenated. And then once it gets hit with the ozone, it becomes like bright, bright red because your red blood cells are full of oxygen from the ozone. So the 10 pass is kind of the classic way, but now people are doing ozone dialysis where they filter your blood through a dialysis membrane and infuse it with ozone at the same time. Uh, there's something called EBO2 where there's an ozone dialysis component, but then your blood also runs through what's called blood irradiation which is a device, one of them is called the hemolumen, and your blood is drawn out of one vein, goes through the dialysis membrane, gets ozonated, and then goes through the hemolumen where it passes by uh, really bright UVA and UVC light, as well as 660 nanometer red light. So you're exposing your blood directly to these different spectrum of light, which have a number of different benefits, um, not the least of which being, as we know, ultraviolet light is a disinfectant. In fact, I'm about to install an ultraviolet unit on my pool equipment so I can use less chlorine than I'm using. I have ozone already. It's not doing it. They still have to use some chlorine. So ultraviolet light is a disinfectant. I mean, that's why mold doesn't grow out in the sun, right? So the inside of our bodies can get moldy and murky and full of opportunistic pathogens and things like that. And when they're exposed to ozone, and especially when they're exposed to ozone and ultraviolet light, um, it's a really powerful disinfectant for the whole body. And so that's kind of a little context around how to do it. Uh, in terms of practitioners, I mean, I'm sure they're not all created equal, but if someone is FDA cleared and is a clinician in a 
valid, legitimate medical clinic, and they are um, regularly administering ozone through an IV, um, chances are that they're probably doing it right. Um, so many places that do vitamin and uh, micro mineral um, or micronutrient IVs and things of that nature, like vitamin IV places, a lot of them are now starting to introduce and offer ozone as an IV. So I guess my other caveat would be getting an ozone IV is not something, you know, you go do at your kooky friend's house, which I've done, by the way. <laughs> Some guy in the valley in LA. Oh, man. Oh, God. That wasn't even an IV. They actually put it in a syringe and did a direct injection, uh, which is, from what I understand now, um, not that safe. So when we're talking about ozone IVs, typically the way it's done is, as I said, the blood is removed from the body, then ozonated, and then reintroduced to the body. Um, there are many skeptics of, well, there's skeptics and proponents of actually just injecting it directly intravenously, like one would do, you know, crystal meth or something. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you shoot? I'm thinking of intravenous drug use, or you know, that's kind of my only context for it, but. You know, if you get a vitamin IV, that's intravenous, right? Um, but you don't want to do ozone that way with like a syringe. And I mean, unless you really, really trust your practitioner. Typically, it's done by, again, taking the blood out, ozonating and putting it back in. But I think it's a really powerful therapy. And um, ozone has been used medically, I don't know, 100 years or more, something uh, along those lines. I think from lines. the 1800s. Yeah, it's maybe, I want to say it's the oldest, but one of the oldest medicines that is natural, right? Mm -hmm. All it takes to make ozone is oxygen and electricity, right? It's, it's not a drug. There are um, little to no side effects that I'm aware of. It's just largely beneficial. And so uh, I think it's a powerful, powerful intervention. And interesting thing about ozone is it just has so many benefits. It's not something that just does one thing. It, it really is kind of a Swiss army knife when it comes to holistic healing and health. So if the person asking that question is kind of ozone curious, you know, listen to some more podcasts. There are people who are obviously much more knowledgeable than I am about it. I just, I know what I know from interviewing people and, and working with it myself subjectively for a number of years with qualified practitioners. But um, I think it's, you know, one of the top therapies that you can do just because it has so much um, range in terms of its benefits. One thing I don't think you mentioned, I use ozone, and this is the way that I use it the most. Um, Simply O3 has a, it's olive oil, ozonated olive oil. And that is my favorite thing to put on my skin. If I have like redness or a pimple or like um, any kind of bumps, I put the ozonated oil on it and it clears it right up. You know, that's a really good point. That's another way. You know, I'm thinking of all the ways you your can get skin, it in yeah. your body, but getting it on your body. Yeah, I use the the Simply O3 ozonated oil um, specifically for, uh, I don't typically get acne and, 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 you know, skin problems so much, but I love it for bug bites. Oh, yeah. yeah mosquito bites. We got a lot of mosquito bites here. Um, I got another hack for mosquito bites though that um, actually John Laurence taught me when I first moved to Texas and I was just getting gnarled by these freaking like Jurassic Park level <laughs> mosquitoes here. And I sent him a text. He's like, take Allison, um, A-L-I-C-I-N, -A I think is how you spell it. And it's is that a, like garlic? Yeah, it's a garlic extract. 
And so, you know, I complied and did. And I don't want to exaggerate this. So I'll try to be factual, but I would estimate, there's no way to quantify it exactly, but I would estimate that in mosquito season here, I get 70 to 80% fewer bites when I take one Allison capsule in the morning and one before I go to bed. And what's interesting about the mosquitoes too, not to divert too much from the topic of ozone here, but what's even better than putting ozone on a mosquito bite or a spider bite or whatever is just not getting it in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? So um, what's interesting though to me is that you can be in a highly saturated mosquito environment and they only bite certain people. I was going to say, I used, so I've lived in Florida for a long time and I moved away for a few years. I used to get a lot of bites when I was growing up here. I don't get bit anymore. Once, once I moved back from New Jersey, they, I, I kind of convinced myself it was something energetic that had changed within me, but they just yeah. don't, people will be getting eaten up around me and I just don't get bit at well, all. Well, then you save a few bucks on not having to buy Allison. Yeah. 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 But that, that's my hack. But, you know, if I forget to take it or, you know, I still get a couple bites here and there, yeah, the ozonated oil is great. Also for cuts, scrapes, bruises, um, burns. It's, it's really, it's a powerful um, antimicrobial, you know. But I think, um, and I'd have to research this, that not only is it kind of acting like a neosporin, like an antibiotic essentially, but I feel like it actually speeds up healing too. Maybe the ozonides, you know, get more oxygen in your red blood cells and in there. I don't know. I'm just kind of taking a wild guess, but it does seem to have more of a positive use topically than just disinfecting something. It seems to like heal things. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. So thank you for adding that one in there. All the ways you can get ozone on and into your body. When it comes to health, I'm always looking for solutions founded on science and inspired by nature. I want products that adopt ancestral ways of living in our modern day world. This, my friends, is why I'm such a huge fanboy of Bond Charge. They're a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in so many ways. From EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern-day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. And one of my all-time favorite products from Bond Charge are their 100% blackout sleep masks. And this is important because creating a pitch-black sleep environment solves poor sleep, frequent awakenings, and sleeping during night shifts. Now, personally, since I've worked very hard to make our bedroom totally dark with custom window shades, my most common uses of the Bond Charge mask are as follows. Creating a blackout room when traveling and during long flights and supporting naps, meditation, and even spiritual ceremonies. What makes this mask the best ever is that it's 100% blackout, super soft to wear, has adjustable straps for max comfort, works for back, belly, and side sleepers, has adjustable eye cups to avoid eye pressure and room for long lashes. Plus, it's super breathable so your face doesn't overheat when you're trying to chill. You can score yourself a couple sleep masks right now by going to bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. And if you're smart, you'll use the code lifestylist to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. And again, your code is also lifestylist. Okay, we got PJ. 
says, what's a good quality probiotic? Oh, man. You know, the one I've been using, now I knew this question was coming to the one I've been, so I'm going to put on the video, the one I've been using for years and anyone that listens to this podcast knows just Thrive is one of our sponsors. So I would, you know, be remiss if I didn't give them a shout out, um, not because they're our sponsor, but because they make such a unique probiotic. I mean, the probiotic thing is like that particular niche of the supplement industry is so rife with fraud. <laughs> it's just... There's, there's different categories in the wellness space where brands capitalize on the public's ignorance of how things work. And the probiotic industry is definitely one of them because you have issues with survivability. So it's great to like eat some sauerkraut, right? Because, you know, you have these beneficial organisms in there, this bacteria and, and fermented foods and things like that um, that can help you know, create biodiversity in your gut and so on. But the thing that many people don't realize, especially people spending a lot of money on probiotics, is that unless they are delivered in a way that gives them superior survivability and allows them to uh, take hold and proliferate, you're just wasting your money because the acidic nature of your digestive tract neutralizes them before they get where they need to go where they're going to set up shop and actually start to, you know, build an environment for themselves. So when you go to the, you know, the supplement section of the health food store, you'll see things on the bottle, 50 trillion you know, organisms per <laughs> bottle or whatever. And it's like, well, that's nice, but how many of them actually end up in your lower intestine or wherever we want them to go? And so the reason that I like the Just Thrive probiotics and I've really derived a lot of benefit from their use is because they're spore-based. So when they're in their capsule, they've not yet hatched, for lack of a better term. In other words, they're kind of the substrate of life for that bacteria, but it's not activated until it gets past all the nasty acids in your stomach and get where they need to go. And then they sort of come to life or hatch uh, in that way. So I'm a big fan of that. That said, as thankful as I am for them creating great products and sponsoring our show... I also uh, think it's important to have biodiversity, right? Like if we're taking the same five strains of probiotics our whole life, that doesn't mimic what would happen in nature. So again, going back kind of to the earlier uh, topics we covered, uh, in nature, a hunter-gatherer person would be picking up an infinite number of strains from the natural environment by eating poorly washed vegetation and probably even some animal foods and fermenting things and God knows what, right? So if we're just taking one brand of probiotic with as great as their strains might be, and that's all we take for the rest of our life, we're probably doing ourselves a disservice. Um, that said, those of us that, for example, weren't breastfed and didn't get our guts seeded by our mom's microbiome and by and for C-section babies too, probably even more dramatically, C-section babies. Um, I have two brothers that were that. And so they didn't get, were you one? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for people that don't know, I mean, there's a lot of information out there, but one of the miracles of birth, in addition to all of the nutrients and probiotics that come from breast milk, which I didn't get. So I guess we're even. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got breast milk. Oh, uh, see, I don't know. I yeah. might trade. I might trade because I feel like <laughs> I always thought if I was breastfed, I feel like I would have been smarter. I mean, I'm a fairly Aww. bright guy, but I just think, man, I'm pretty bright. I, I got I got it together in a decent way. But man, imagine if I would have gotten all the fats that my brain needed when I was an infant and the 
you know, vitamin A and uh, just all the things. I don't want you to feel worse, but I feel like one of the best parts about the breastfeeding is the bonding with the mom. The yeah, oxytocin right. And yeah, the back yeah. and forth feedback between the baby and the mom. Yes, exactly. It probably explains a lot of my emotional issues throughout my life. Oh. But you know, that's why we're here. That's why I have a podcast. Yep. My my wounds are my gift, and hopefully, a gift to those <laughs> listening. But back to the uh, to the probiotics and. As you might have noticed, those listening, and you know me, Bailey, I can't just simply answer a question because there's so much to share about each thing. Um, and I'm nobody I'm sure, wants that anyway. I'm sure many people listening will like know a lot of the things I'm sharing, but there's going to be probably a few thousand people that are like, "What?" So <laughs> yeah, if you give birth via C-section, and God bless modern medicine, I'm so happy that my two brothers made it out and that their mom lived through the process, and it's great. Like if it's needed. I'm sure it's that diagnosis is much more overstated and more prevalent than it needs to be, but that's another conversation. But when a baby's born naturally, and if you ever look at, I mean, I don't want to say this because it sounds, sounds mean, but like babies look kind of gross when they come out. They're all covered in like white <laughs> slime and, you know, that they look like they got heavily slimed, you know. Well, a lot of the fluids that uh, cover babies when they come out are the, microbiome to be that's present in the vaginal canal as they pass through the birth canal in their eyes, in their nose, in their mouth are the seeds of their future microbiome. And then that is of course fortified through breastfeeding. So in a natural birth situation, you're going to have a biodiversity, you know, provided that the mother had that biodiversity. If there's if there's nothing in her system, obviously it can't be passed along. But again, going back pre, pre-industrialization, pre-agriculture, hunter-gatherer people would have been picking up multitudes of strains of bacteria, beneficial bacteria from their environment, from their diet, and been passing those on to their offspring through the birth process. So this is again to highlight the importance of the diversity. And for that reason, I don't only take Just Thrive. However, I've had a very difficult time finding probiotics that can guarantee scientifically the survivability of their bacteria, which brings me to my next favorite brand of probiotics called Seed. And from just scouring their website and just deep diving their method, they have different strains of bacteria and also survivability through their delivery process, the way that it's encapsulated and so on. Uh, and I feel really good on that. So what I'll do is just kind of cycle my probiotics every couple of months. I, just, I don't have an exact science to it. I just think, oh yeah, I've been taking this one for three months and then I take a month of the other one. I would say my my go-to and standby is just Thrive. But when another brand hits the market and they appear to be viable and have some utility, I'll try them for a while too. You know, And also just mixing up the kind of fermented foods and kefir. There was years where I made my own raw goat milk kefir. I still call it kefir, but then people correct me and they say it the right way, kefir. So I'm just going to try to be smart and say it that way. But I'm a huge fan of of fermented foods and just getting good bacteria into your body. I saw Seed is making probiotics for kids now. They make oh, a little word. packet. Yeah, so oh, they make cool. a little packet, like a sweet... I think it... I don't know if there's sugar in it, but it's like a sweet drink so that kids will drink their probiotics. Nice. And kids like me will drink it because I love me some sweet drinks. But I want to add, <laughs> I add, I wanna add one, uh, one hot tip here. If you're a mother or a father who has some 
level of influence in the birth process. Um, if you do have to end up doing a C-section and, and some OB, what are they called? OBs? OBGYN. That. Some of them are aware of this. The more integrative medicine minded ones will totally know this and just do it. But if you have a standard birth at a standard hospital and they kind of, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say like force you into, but if they're like, oh, you got to have a C-section, panic, panic, and you got to do it. There's one really important thing that you could elect to do that would really be helpful for your baby. And that is to have them swab the baby with the birth fluids as they come out, even if it's a C-section, right? So they, they cut you and they pull the baby out, but you still have all of the necessary um, prerequisite bacteria present in the vaginal canal. And so what they'll do is they'll actually swab the baby and put it in their mouth, put it in their nose and make sure that it gets into them. And, and that's, from my understanding, again, you know, no expert here, but I do study these things and interview some pretty smart people who are definitely experts, uh, that that's another way that you can seed your baby's microbiome. It's called swabbing, I think, is kind of the term they generally use, uh, even if you have a C-section. So, you know, if you're thinking about getting pregnant or you're pregnant and you're listening to this, you know, obviously you want to have hopefully as natural birth with as little medical intervention as possible. But if push, push comes to shove, <laughs> Freudian slip there, uh, <laughs> if push comes to shove, <laughs> that's funny. That's a good one. Uh, and you're like, oh shit, you know, something's going off where it's wonky. We got to do a C-section. Just remember, like, remember that thought, like swab, 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 make sure your baby, if possible, can get uh, that microbiome started the right way. Mm, birth tangents are definitely my favorite tangents. Well, I mean, we're, you know, we want to get pregnant. We're working on it. So it's mm -hmm. no accident that I've studied up on a lot of this stuff over the past two years since Alice and I uh, got married and moved in together. And, you know, we really want to build a family. So anytime I hear an expert, especially in the realm of natural childbirth, home birth, wild birth, I mean, I'm really, my ears are perked because I want to give the future baby to be the, the best fighting chance they've got. Mm -hmm. Did you know I, would, I trained to be a doula? What? Yeah, that was my that was my dream for a while. Really? Yeah, I trained. I mostly educated myself, and I took I took a class to like be certified. Which yeah, it's like I don't know. There's so many, there's so many places you can go, and they can call you certified, and it doesn't really mean much. But yeah, that is was it, is, a, it, is it kind of like a yoga certification? <laughs> yeah, teacher training? kind of. Well, yeah, and it's like there there are plenty of doula certifications that do not prepare you for natural births at all and oh, okay um, yeah but but it's just so interesting that I, w I was obsessed with birth for like four years wow uh, are you gonna have babies someday oh yeah definitely oh, good as many as i can hopefully good well <laughs> on that note i don't know if i i think i mentioned this to you but my brother cody uh and his wife emily they they used to live in la um you know, for the time that I did. And uh, they moved to Idaho and like bought a cabin. I mean, they're in a town, mm -hmm. but they live in a cabin mm -hmm. and got pregnant. And uh, neither of them were in any way aligned with the medical system. And so Emily started uh, training to become a doula and kind of in conjunction with her own pregnancy and their shared desire of having a free birth and just... Yeah. Having a baby with 
zero medical intervention or even support from a doula or midwife, mm-hmm. much to the shock and horror of some of my family members who <laughs> thought that that idea was rife with imminent danger and risk. Mm-hmm. Uh, their perspective was, we're right down the street from a hospital. It's probably three minutes away. Right. Yeah, if we need the system, it's there. We're going to use it. We're not dumbasses. And fortunately, and I don't, you know, this isn't always the outcome. There's a lot of things working against our biology as modern domesticated humans. So I don't know that a wild or free birth is going to work as planned for everyone. And I also have um, a few friends that set that intention and it didn't work out and they had to go to the hospital and they had their baby and everything's fine. So, Mm -hmm. you know, babies have their own karma and their own way of coming into the world. And I think we have much less control over that passage than we like to think. But at any rate, you know, there is a story of um, success here and that she was pregnant and then more pregnant and even more pregnant and then went into labor in their cabin. And my brother Cody, you got to know my brother to know like how wildly unexpected this kind of experience is. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you know, the way he described it was like, she just knew when it was time and, you know, knew how to move her body and what she needed. And she didn't feel like she needed any other humans there other than him. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe might not have even needed him. You know, they didn't know until it kind of happened. And I think the way the story goes is she was like, yeah, I need you. And dude, she just, I if I have the story right, again, I could be, you know, inventing some of the details, but I saw some pictures and I think essentially I th- she's I think squ- I saw a video of her. Okay, yeah. I think she just squatted and my brother put his hands out and just caught the baby. <laughs> and just like but the you know, which sounds radical to us. And even to me, I'm like, wait, you can do that? Like, don't you? What if uh <laughs> but the thing is that this is what humans have been doing. For as long as humans have been doing it, you know, like that's <laughs> how. And of course, you know, in, in the past, I'm sure there were complications and just like there are now, right? Sometimes things don't go as planned and mom doesn't make it, the baby doesn't make it. Um, this is just, you know, sort of the tragic nature of the natural world. It's just, you know, things can go awry. Mm-hmm. But I think it's beautiful when a woman has the trust in her body and in the process to allow nature to take its course and has a partner that is able to hold space for that and provide whatever support is needed and desired, mm-hmm. you know, by the mom. Cause this is really the mom's show, right? Let's be honest. Mm-hmm. You know? They have to be safe or it's not going to go well. Yeah. They have to feel safe. Yeah. Totally. And being this time around in a male body, I literally can't fathom the experience of having a baby. So much respect to all the to all the moms out there, um, you know, my own included for sure. But I, I do get a, I just get a, a sense of joy and satisfaction when when the parents' innate wisdom guides them in that direction, and it goes as planned. And there's something about, and this isn't to denigrate people that were born in a hospital. I was, I turned out pretty decent. There's something special and unique about babies that come into the world like that, that mm-hmm. and that are also able to avoid some of the other interventions and medications mm-hmm. that commonly take place in a hospital birth scenario. I mean, I know so many kids that were born like this and there's just, there's an, there's a sparkle there that's. They're connected. Yeah, it's tangible, connected. you know, and, and this is not a judgment, 
against parents who do things different ways. Like we all have our path, man. And doing it the way my brother and his wife, Emily did it would definitely not work for a lot of people. That's just out of their range, (laughs) you know, in, in different ways. But if you have to have a C-section, make sure the medical attending staff swab your baby. If you Mm -hmm. care about the microbiome, if you don't, then just do whatever. I've been pretty much obsessed with the principles of quantum energy for years. Before any particle manifests physically, it exists as pure quantum energy, and that includes our bodies. And every person constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. But things like EMF and toxic air, food, and water diminish our body's energy. And this, my friends, is why I use Leela Quantum products every day. Walk through my house and you'll see them everywhere, like the quantum block on our kitchen island, for example, which we use to charge our food, drink, and supplements to increase their nourishing potential. Leela Quantum develops and studies its quantum products to help mitigate harmful EMF effects, activate the body's self-healing powers, and strengthen our biofield. The pure quantum energy they use is also part of every cell. It's a form of source energy. It's natural and very real. And there's a long list of randomized, placebo-controlled, single- and double-blind studies proving the many effects of Leela Quantum products. Leela Q products neutralize EMF, optimize HRV, and improve the blood. This has been shown in the various studies to which I referred, as you can see for yourself right on their website. To upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure quantum energy right now, visit LeelaQ.com and get 10% off your first order with the code LUKE10. That's L-E-E-L-A-Q, LeelaQ.com. We got Lindsay asking for recommendations on non-VOC paint. Oh, I love this because... I've been planning on doing a kind of a sequel to the why I moved to Texas and how we're building our eco-friendly home and stuff. Cause that was like when we were in the middle of the process and I barely survived that process because it was so frustrating Mm -hmm. and expensive and just one of those things where, and I want to avoid victimhood here, but almost everything that could possibly go wrong in building a house went wrong. I mean, it was just a fucked experience (laughs) straight up and it went on and on and on for a year and a half. Uh, And we're here in our home now for those watching the video, there's cookie. She loves it. She's taking a nap (laughs) and all is well, but getting here was, uh, was an arduous journey to say the least. The good news is along the way, I learned so much about building a home and everything that goes into that and things that you would think you never want to learn about, like different types of grout and how you seal natural stone tile and all sorts of weird stuff that, frankly, I'd be um, fine never learning. But anyway, I put myself in a position to have to learn it. And I also learned a lot about toxic building materials. So even just something like the wood floors. I mean, if you use like solid wood, not that environmentally friendly um, to kind of waste wood on your floors. So we did something called engineered wood by a company called Green World and it's all non-toxic. So it's not exuding toxic fumes from all the glues like a particle board wood in, in some furniture, formaldehyde and these different things that off-gas in your environment. So 
we went through all that stuff and all the EMF shielding in, you know, in different rooms and um, the water purification. I finally settled on that for those that have been wondering because many people ask me, well, what did you do? Uh, I'm going with 04 water. We're going to do the whole house thing. And it's, um, it is not cheap, but I just, I've been researching this for so long. I just can't find anyone doing it better. And this is our home for a while, if maybe not forever, but I don't see us like selling or renting this house. And if we did, I'd be happy that those people had great water. <laughs> but water purification, uh, what's the other thing? Um, oh, lighting. You know, I mean, I went to exhaustive lengths in this house to ensure that there's no lighting that I don't find to be biologically helpful, supportive, compatible. So in different rooms, there's different lamps and light switches for the overhead can light. So one switch makes red light, one switch makes bright daylight, and so on. So I really nailed the the lighting thing. Uh, Bond Charge, by the way, uh, one of sometimes one of our sponsors, they make some great uh, red light bulbs that are LED, but they don't flicker. They did a great job with those. The incandescent bulbs they use. Anyway, I'll get off on a tangent. I'll do a show about it. <laughs> And like share with everyone all the cool stuff that I found during this process of research and building the home. But specifically uh, to the point of the paint, I've been aware of no VOC, which stands for volatile organic compounds, I believe, VOCs. Um, back in the day, you had like lead paint, right? And then little kids, probably like me, in the 50s, 60s, 70s, would eat paint chips and get brain damage and whatever, right? I actually did think I got lead poisoning from lead paint. This is a funny story. 20 years ago or so, no more, almost 25 years ago, I was dating this girl and, uh, and she had inherited a house, like a little duplex in Hollywood. It was like a, a typical Hollywood Spanish duplex, probably built in the 20s or 30s. And it had been kind of run down. And so I was uh, helping to renovate it for ourselves. And one of the things I did during this time, and I don't know construction, I suck at all handyman things, but I was, um, I happened to be on psych meds at the time. And the way those meds um, worked in my system were very similar to amphetamine. And so I would have a lot of energy and I would get obsessed with projects and I would just go nuts uh, in a really pathological OCD fashion. One of such projects that I endeavored to complete was removing. God knows how many layers of paint from this banister on the staircase. There's this beautiful wood banister that had just been painted over and over and over and over again. So I tried to kind of sand it off. There was too many layers of paint. So I learned about something called a heat gun. And uh, a heat gun essentially melts the paint, and then you use a blade to scrape off the melted paint. And this is only two stories, but there was a lot of paint on this freaking banister. So I used the heat gun, and I got it off. I didn't wear a mask or anything. So essentially what I was, what I was doing, because this is before I knew about the stuff that we talk about on this podcast and stuff. So I was vaporizing lead paint, layers yeah. and layers of it, and just breathing it in like an idiot. And probably and then, touching it all. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, just the whole, the whole thing. And then a few years uh, following that particular experience, I got my labs done, you know, hair tests and blood tests. And I had like crazy off the chart levels of lead. And so they were asking me, like, did, you know, do you used to be a painter? Like, what's happening here? How did you come in contact with this much lead? Because my mercury and cadmium and all those other ones were, I wouldn't say low, but they were normal as compared to my, you know, the general population. 
And so I traced it back and I think it must have been that freaking staircase that I obsessively, mm. you know, melted the lead paint off. Yikes. So said all that to say, uh, I do have an awareness not only around the lead paint, which thankfully is illegal now, just like leaded gasoline, they've phased it out like asbestos and like someday they'll phase out 5G towers and chemtrails and things like that, that are just like lead paint and asbestos. But one prevalent issue that has persisted in the world of paint for your home are, are these VOCs. And essentially these are chemical fumes that fill up your house and cause you a lot of problems. So over the years, there's been like, I mean, I'm going back 20 years or something. There's been specialty paint companies that will make a low VOC or a no VOC paint. And you had to kind of seek them out and then hopefully find the color that you wanted, right? And so it was very limited in the beginning of that niche part of the industry. However, in building this house, I went, um, I spent like probably two months finding the right white paint for the walls. <laughs> and I found out this is a thing oh, in construction. God. It's called the war of the whites. It's like a real thing. Like white paint is not just white paint. There's a whole thing. So I was researching all these mommy bloggers and just, you know, interior design sites and just like, oh my God, like I just want some freaking white paint. I just want it bright and clean and whatever, not <laughs> yellow, not blue. Anyway, I finally found the white paint that I love. And incidentally, when people come to our house, weirdly enough, they're like, man, I really love the white paint. <laughs> it's a special kind of white paint. And it is. It's Chantilly Lace by Benjamin Moore. Now, the, the first contractor, I'm totally going off on tangents here. It is what it is, guys. Obviously, we're not going to get to the rest of the questions. Hopefully, people find some valuetainment out of the way I'm presenting this information. So it's Benjamin Moore. Now, the first contractor, I said, I want Benjamin Moore, which is like a kind of a designer high-end paint brand versus like Glidden or whatever you get at Home Depot. There's definitely degrees of paint quality and very much so paint price. So I'm like, I want the Benjamin Moore white. He's like, oh man, this is the first contractor we hired that we had a lot of issues mm. with, mm -hmm. to say the least. And he's like, oh man, you don't need that. You're just paying for the label. I'm just, I'll go, I got it. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So he goes and buys, because you can go to Home Depot and say, hey, here's the, you know, here's the skew for the Benjamin Moore Chantilly Lace paint, but I want it cheaper and they'll sell it to you. So that's what he did and painted the whole house and it looked like shit. It didn't cover, oh. it peeled. It's just really crappy paint. So I had to, and this is, you know, it's a big house <laughs> and the whole place is painted. Right. Floor to ceiling look like shit. And then the paint that he did that looked like shit was also damaged by other negligent workers that didn't protect the walls when they were doing work. So it was all trashed anyway and needed to be redone. The next guy, you know, he's like, wait, what paint do you want? I told him Benjamin Moore Chantilly Lace. I said, yeah, the last guy used some Home Depot paint. He's like, dude, you can't do that. You're not paying for the label. It's a higher quality paint. It's more durable. It's more cleanable. It's more true to the color. It covers better, et cetera. So he got me the real paint and we used that. Now, when I went down to buy the paint, I am getting around to the question. I was like, Mr. Health Conscious Environmental Dude. And I was like, this has to be no VOC, okay? And the guy at the counter is like, sir, that's the only kind of paint we make. All of our paint is no VOC. So unbeknownst to me, it's a thing now. I mean, maybe if you go to Home Depot, you have to request it. But if you buy paint from like a Sherwin-Williams or Benjamin Moore, like one of these higher end paint companies. That's just how all their paint is made. So I would highly recommend to people that are into the health things like many listening are 
that if you're going to paint anything inside of your house, that you definitely make sure it's no VOC. And the good news is that it's very prevalent now and really easy to find, even in different and unique colors, like the very special color white with which we painted our home. That was a really surprising answer. I did not think you were going to say that. I just have one of those brains that hangs on to (laughs) oftentimes unimportant details, but that's what makes me do what I do, I guess, you know, I, well, uh, and I'm also like, I'm kind of shocked that the, it wouldn't be so hard to find non-VOC paint. Yeah, no, that's the thing. I was, I was surprised and elated to find that it's kind of become an industry standard as public awareness has grown. So that's, you know, that's Mm. the great thing about doing a podcast like this, right? There's going to be a number of people that have never even heard that there's different types of paint and that Mm -hmm. they are effectively creating, I don't want to overstate this, but a gas chamber of sorts inside their homes by having this paint that off gases all these chemicals, which disrupts your hormones and all kinds of different things, right? We're, I mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're under just a constant onslaught as a result of the agricultural, industrial, technological revolutions that have transpired prior to this day today. Uh, where we sit and chat on a podcast. So, you know, a lot of people are going to be like, yeah, old news. I've been using no VOC forever. And some are going to be like, what? <sighs> Mind blown emoji. Damn, I got to talk to my painter, you know? But it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? Like, is it going to change your whole life to repaint your house with no VOC paint? Probably not. Especially if your home interior paint's been sitting there for five years, it's probably already off-gassed most of the nastiness, right? But, you know, all of these little things aren't really meaningful in the big picture in and of themselves. But when you clean up, you know, your air, the mold, your water, the EMF, I mean, when you, when you take all of these, the lighting, all these things that I talked about earlier, when you start to hopefully in a non-fearful, non-psychotic way, (laughs) just, I'm not saying that I'm able to achieve that at all times, but I try to have a loose relationship with my level of control in my environment. But Let's just say you have a really healthy level of balance and, you know, there are many things out of your control, like all of the things that happen outside of your house when you go out into the world. But for me, the inside of my home is my sanctuary. Like this is where I come to rejuvenate, to regenerate, to heal from all of those things outside of the home for which I know I have zero control. So, you know, just little inputs like this, little habitual changes Um, over time, I think can make a huge difference. You know, it's not the one thing that causes chronic illness eventually. It's the accumulation of all of these different uh, negative deleterious inputs throughout our life. So if we can just, you know, be balanced and sane about it and, you know, if we're going to repaint, go, ah, you know, I remember I heard on that dude's podcast, there's no VOC paint. Let's do that instead of the other one. Yeah. I've always been a fan of pomegranate, but I had no idea it contained one of the most powerful compounds in the world for mitochondria. It's called urolithin A, and it's incredible for mitophagy. Or put more simply, the way your body discards old dysfunctional mitochondria. The thing is that you'd have to eat ridiculous amounts of pomegranate to get a clinically effective dose of this urolithin A. That's why I get mine in a product called MitoPure, available in a berry powder, protein powder, and soft gels. Super easy to take and adopt into your daily routine. 
Mitopure is a breakthrough postbiotic that activates your body's natural defense against aging. It's also the first product on the market to offer a precise dose of urolithin A to upgrade mitochondrial function, increase cellular energy, and improve muscle strength. Mitopure is the result of 10 years of research by scientists at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, and its clinically proven benefits are available for the first time in the U.S. through Timeline Nutrition. To learn even more about the science of Mitopure, go back and check out episode 389 with Dr. Chris Wrench. It's a mitochondria geek out of the highest order of magnitude and helps simplify this complex topic. And in the meantime, as a special offer for you listeners, you can use the promo code LUKE10 to get 10% off any 2, 4, or 12-month MitoPure plan at TimelineNutrition.com. And by the way, I highly suggest the Starter Pack, which lets you try all three forms of MitoPure. Again, that's TimelineNutrition.com, and your code is LUKE10. You want to do one more? Or a couple more? Um, yeah, that's funny. You guys listening, when Bailey and I did the last one, I think it was like two hours or something. I was like, okay, fewer questions next time because like I just am too long-winded. We got to scale this back. And today I had every intention of making it 60 minutes and we've only gotten to maybe like one-eighth of the questions. Uh, let, let's do one more because we're at like 146 here on the timer. And, oh, wow. Um, oh time remember- flies. Yeah, time flies and you're having fun, Bailey. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, I remember you using the words rapid fire. I don't think we've achieved yeah. that. <laughs> I, I think what we've learned here today, Bailey, uh, and I've suspected this for some time, is that I literally just do not have the capacity to answer questions in a concise manner. It's just not in my nature. Mm. <laughs> have but there are many that. other great podcasters out there, I'm sure, that are excellent at that skill. I just don't happen to be one of them. I gotta. I think what it is is I just any little nuanced information that I have around a topic. I just want to give everything I've got to it. You know. Yeah. And, um, so you know, is what it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got Amanda asking for thoughts on silver infused sheets. My husband wants them because they're cooling or something, but I'm wondering if they're <laughs> safe to use. <laughs> All right, I can answer this one quickly. Uh, no. All right, let's end the show. Uh, no, I'll add a little more context to that. They, they're putting metal um, in or on your bed is potentially problematic for a couple reasons. The first one being that metal, uh, like silver, is conductive. And what conductive materials do is act as antenna for radio frequencies, otherwise known as RF, which are one type of EMF. So if you're sleeping on a mattress, for example, that has metal coils in it, and I'm, you know, I'm not trying to be a fear monger here, but this is just basic physics. Um, and anyone my age or older will know that if you had a, an old box TV set and you were getting a shitty reception, that you could put big pieces of tin foil on the antenna and you would improve the reception. Why? Because you're adding um, more conductive material to the receiver on the TV. Well, conductive material acting as a receiver for radio frequencies works whether it's a TV or a bed. So I would advise against putting metal either on top of your bed with bedding, sheets, and so on. And if you can, 
even avoiding mattresses that have coils. That's why I have the Essentia bed, the latex bed. It doesn't have any coils. I bought it that way on purpose. The Samina bed, we have two beds because <laughs> depending on who's sleeping better and where the pets are, sometimes two beds are needed. The other one's a Samina bed, which also has no metal in it. So the benefit that husband in question here is getting, if he wants cooling, I would recommend getting um, a chili pad, an Uller, or the Doc Pro. I have the Doc Pro from a company called Chili Technology. And the Doc Pro, which is the, the latest iteration of their bed cooling technology, dude, that thing will freeze your ass off. <laughs> when I first got it, I would set it. And for those that don't know what this is, it's... um. It's essentially a fabric pad that has silicone veins inside it and then a cooling unit that goes, you know, a few feet away. And there's a hose that connects to this pad, goes under your fitted sheet. And its its purpose is really uh, for improving sleep quality because one of the things that interrupts sleep quality is overheating. And many mattresses, especially mattresses, for example, that have a memory foam topper or some of that nature, uh, conduct heat and actually make you overheat and ruin your sleep. So that's why I first got the original version, which was the chili pad. This thing gets so damn cold. I mean, I keep mine on like 74 now. When I first got it, I was like, low, low, low. I just put it at the lowest setting and I would wake up freezing. And so each night I'd kind of creep it back up. Let me try 60, too cold, 65, too cold, 68, too cold, 74 seems to be my sweet spot. So if this husband of our thoughtful, uh, questioner here is using the silver emf attracting uh bedding to stay cool you know put a couple bucks together and get yourself a doc pro from chili sleep technologies and you will sleep colder than you could ever imagine and the cool thing about these um, particular units is that you can have uh, a pad that has an isolated by the way, these can also make your bed hot. Like with the Doc Pro, you can set it with an app so that like it gets cold when you, like it can be warm when you get in bed, then it gets cold during the middle of the night and then it warms up again to wake you up. It's really cool. Um, I typically just leave mine cold because I'm lazy, but one could do that. But you could have like, in this case, a his and her. Uh, it's very common, especially people sleeping together uh, of the opposite gender that one is hot and one is cold. Typically, woman's going to be cold, man's going to be hot. I mean, this is just, what I've observed through knowing a lot of men and women that sleep together and in my own personal experience. So we don't have it set up right now, but come summer here in Texas, when it's like 190 degrees Fahrenheit every day, um, Allison will have her side, which she can choose her temperature as to be as cold or not as she prefers it. And then I can have my side super freezing when it's hella hot here. So this is also a way to save your marriage when you're having disagreements around the temperature in the room and how much bedding is on top of you and all of that. So that would be a way to solve the, um, the temperature thing. This is probably going to beg the question for some people listening, well, what about grounding sheets? Because grounding sheets are also um, infused with silver thread. That's what makes them conductive so that when your skin touches it, you can ground. Now, I've been going back and forth on this issue for 20 years because you have the pro-earthing slash grounding people that say, hey, we've evolved in nature to constantly be having our conductive body touch the conductive earth. Um, all bedding prior to the advent of plastic would have been conductive natural fibers, right? Wool, plant matter, et cetera, that is conductive when the skin touches it and it touches the earth. 
Before we had uh, rubber-soled shoes, we had leather-soled shoes that is also conductive. If you look at any animal in nature, with the exception of birds while in flight, every single living being on the planet is grounded 24-7, meaning Mm -hmm. they're conductively grounded to the planet. And there are numerous benefits that have been um, proven so scientifically. I mean, it's, it's no mystery that we do better when we're grounded. So you'd think, let's get a grounding sheet with silver in it and put it on the bed and be grounded, or let's sit at the computer. Like I have a grounding pad, for example, for those on the video, I have a grounding pad right here and it's conductive. And so I keep my feet on it when I work at my desk. So you think, great. And I did this for years without the following piece of critical information. And what I'm about to say, and the perspective I just shared, uh, has been determined by my interviewing literally the top experts in the world on issues like EMF and grounding, or as some people call it, earthing. Here's the bad news. If I have my, my bare foot or a natural fiber sock, which is also conductive, uh, like a full polyester sock would be less so if at all conductive, but say I have my bare foot on this grounding pad and I'm working here at the computer. And if this computer itself isn't shielded for EMF and there's power cables and wires and things aren't properly um, grounded, I mean, the, the equipment I'm using, if I'm in an electric field, and by the way, the same could be said of you sleeping in a bed, and having a wall behind you that's covered with sheetrock that has wires inside the wall because sheetrock is made of what? Minerals. It's highly conductive. If the wires in your wall don't have the electric field of 60 hertz shielded, which no one does unless you build a specially EMF-proof home, uh, the electric field coming off your wall behind your bed, or in many cases from your computer, anywhere where there's something plugged in or some outlet where you could plug it in, that electric field, which is for sure uh, deleterious to your biology, emits from that wall between three and six feet. So if your headboard's against the wall and you have an outlet on either side and there's wires going through that wall, that entire wall, not just where the outlets are, are emitting an electric field. And one of the things that an electric field does is it agitates your nervous system and makes it more difficult for you to go into a parasympathetic or rest and digest or sleep state. So we got two issues here. One, it's really good to ground. And two, we're getting hit with all of these unnatural um, non-native EMFs because EMFs aren't bad for you. The sun is a giant EMF emitter. The planet itself has a magnetic field. Like EMF is fine. But we're talking about non-native or alien EMF frequencies and degrees of power of EMF that your body has not evolved to withstand. So if grounding is good for you, then I should put a grounding sheet with silver in it on my bed so that I'm grounded all night, just like my ancestors would have been. However, here's the rub. If I'm exposed to an electric field, specifically an electric field, this wouldn't be the case as much with an RF field or magnetic field, but let's say an electric field, like from the wiring of your house or any device that's plugged into that wiring, then what happens is because your body's conductive, all bodies are conductive, and I guess maybe unless they're dead. <laughs> Actually, dead bodies are probably conductive too now that I think about it because they're full of water. They have to have water, right? Yeah. 
So because your body has water and minerals and uh, its own electrical field, right? It's conductive. If I'm sitting here at my desk and I'm touching a grounding pad and I'm also exposed to an electric field, what happens is that electric current uses my body as a conduit to find the ground. That's why homes are grounded. You have a grounding wire that's like a big stake that goes down from the wiring in your house into the actual earth under your house. It's so that there aren't stray electric fields flying all over causing um, you know, dirty electricity and causing people to get electrocuted or mm-hmm. frying your radio or whatever, right? So, so grounding is part of all home electrical systems. But what happens is, again, when you're grounded, say on a silver sheet, and you're also exposed to an electric field behind your bed, now all of that current is actually locating your body as the ground and going through to get out of the house through the wires in that ground wire. So, and there's people that would, you know, probably debate me on this, people that sell grounding stuff (laughs) specifically uh, that either aren't aware of this or don't believe it or, or just disagree with it. Right. And, and maybe they're right. But again, based on the, the geniuses that I've interviewed about this um, grounding is problematic if you're exposed to an electric field. So going out in your yard barefoot, provided there isn't stray electricity in the dirt around your house, which in cities, unfortunately, is very common. But going into nature barefoot, touching a tree, getting in some water, going in the ocean, anytime you're touching nature, you're earthing, you're grounding. Wearing you know my earth runner's sandals that have a little copper peg on them, great. Not so great though, if I'm in an electric field. So being the health nut that I am, you know, we shielded the walls in our bedroom. So there's no electric field in there. So I use a grounding sheet that has silver in it in our bedroom, but that's only because there's no electric field. I sit here at my desk with my foot on a grounding pad because I've already mitigated the electric field around my computer and all the wires behind my desk and all that, which is a whole process I don't have time here to go into, but you know, I've done a lot of podcasts about it and people can learn. So again, you know, <laughs> we've got a very simple question. Should I be happy about this silver uh, sheet in our bed that my husband wants to stay cool? No, you shouldn't <laughs> want that if you want to be healthy. There's other ways to stay cold. If the purpose of using silver infused sheets on the bed has anything to do with grounding, my personal perspective on this is that the, um, the deficit that you'll experience by far exceeds the benefit that you would experience from the grounding. And I know this is going to bum a lot of people out because the grounding craze is like, I started, you know, like I said, I started doing grounding stuff, I don't know, 20 years ago, maybe more, 25 years ago, getting the grounding sheets, the grounding pads, all that stuff. And I was super stoked and thought I was like killing it because like I said, in nature, we're always grounded. But in nature, we're not sitting next to a wall that's got a three to six foot radius of an electric field of 60 hertz blasting your body. So this stuff gets really complex, complicated, and nuanced. And I'll close by saying, you know what? At the end of the day, man, if you feel good having a silver sheet in your bed, there's worse things that you could do to your body. You know what I'm saying? So it's just, it's it's a matter of like, how regimented do you want to be? You know, it's like try to not eat glyphosate and then make up for that by having the silver thing in your bed. You know, it's like, it's, well, it's, I think, it's, yeah, go ahead. It's, it's good for you to talk about that too, though, because 
I've seen a lot of silver sheets marketed having nothing to do with grounding, but just for the microbial effects. So yeah. I think people are just, a lot of people are getting them for that and maybe the cooling too, and not even thinking about the fact that they're totally, Totally. And I think that's the basis of her question because she didn't men- mention the grounding uh, element of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm glad that we, you know, kind of got to dive deeper into that because I'm sure some people listening are like, well, I don't have the silver sheet because it looks cooler because it keeps me, you know, my temperature lower. I have it because I like to ground when I sleep. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to add that information because this is very disappointing when I discovered it, you know, over the past couple of years, I'm like, dude, I've been doing this for years, having no idea that the electricity in my wall was really happy to use my body as a conduit to ground itself back to the earth. (laughs) So. Hopefully that provides some insight to the grounding fans out there and probably disappoints a few of them too. But if you just shield the EMF and get rid of the EMF, then grounding is great, which is why I still do it. I just had to make some tweaks in order for it to really provide the benefits I'm looking for. Hmm. Um, so that was our last question, but great. there was one thing we were going to talk about that we didn't. Oh, yeah. You know, for those that made it this far, two hours and two minutes. Yeah, Bailey and I are looking to expand the team. We um, need essentially uh, administrative slash personal assistant for myself uh, that can be remote and uh, pretty simple role in terms of the skill set required, but obviously has to be a cultural fit. And we would prefer that it's someone that's into the work that we do and it wants to support the mission of the lifestylist and all the other things I'm doing in the world. So uh, if you want to find out more information about this particular HR opportunity, go to lukestory.com slash hire, and there'll be an application form that you can fill out there, lukestory.com slash hire. And if you're hearing this in the future, it's now uh, the beginning months of 2023 and you go there, we'll probably have found the person, but if you hear this relatively soon, uh, in the next couple months here, you know, give that link a shot if you're looking for some extra work and you want to do the kind of work we do. Yay. Yeah. And that's how Bailey got her gig. And I don't know what I do without you at this point. Like we have Aww. so much fun. We have so much fun <laughs> yeah. and we get so much done. Specifically, you get so much done. I mean, <laughs> I we get do some, it together. Well, you know, we found our zone of genius, right? You know, the things yeah. that I'm good at and that I can only do. And I know the things that only you can do. And, you know, there's, there's a great synergy there. And that's what makes a great team, right? You each have a diversity of strengths and not so much strengths. And you find mm-hmm. where the pieces fit and you support each other for the mission. Yeah. A lot. Now we need one more. Yep, we sure do. We probably need 10 more with the amount of stuff we have going on. But well, as you know, we'll we'll try to be uh, moderate and just go one at a time until we have everyone we need. All right. Well, all right. Thanks, baby. We're done, girl. I got to do some writing here. I'm four minutes late for my writing appointment with myself. Oh, okay. That's all. It's all good. So um, have a great day. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back real soon. Well, that concludes our second AMA episode. And uh, I got to say, I appreciate your commitment to the show. I just know that it means the world to me that you keep tuning in each week. And for the new listeners, remember, we'll be back next week with another guest episode. And that's number 461, Quantum Upgrade, Charging Your Health, Home, and Happiness with Source Energy. Have the best weekend ever, and we'll be back in your ears in a couple days. 